Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How are you not bobbing your head when that music's going right there, right? I mean, that's got a little, little bump to it. I love it. Hey, you guys look great. You sound great. And I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, you heard a couple things that I want to just hit one more time. In a couple weeks, uh, the 25th, we've got the Rome Braves game. That's going to be fun. We bought a block of tickets, uh, and we, we've sold maybe a third of those tickets so far. But they will. we anticipate that those will sell out, so you need to get those quickly. They're like five bucks a piece. Uh, we're eating, I think, part of that cost. We just want to make it available to you. We'd love to go and just kind of flood the stadium there and have a good time together. Uh, but then also next week, Sunday, fun day, it's going to be incredible. You need to come. You need to be here. You need to bring friends and family. I just heard about somebody a minute ago that said they were bringing like 40 people with them. That's awesome. Here's what I would say to you. Don't come at 10 o'clock, okay? I've said that for a couple weeks now. Don't come at 10 o'clock. Don't come at 10 o'clock because we're anticipating that'll be uh, our fullest service. So you can kind of move to 8.30 or 11.30. You move to 11, You move to 8.30, you get all day to play. That's really what we're saying. So you can do that. But uh, this last week, our family uh, had a good week. We started back to school for our kids. We have four kids and we started back to school. It was a good week. Uh, but we had a little bit of chaos on Thursday. It didn't matter how much we thought we were prepared on Wednesday night. Uh, Thursday came and we just had a little bit of chaos. Uh, we had actually like done really well. We had gotten school supplies like almost a month ago. And then like two days before school started, we realized like we were working off the wrong list. I'm, I'm telling you, I downloaded it off the school website, I think. Uh, but we, we down, so like it, you couldn't have pencil top erasers and we bought three packs of those. You had to have the pearl big erasers. I don't even know what a pearl big eraser is other than it's just a big eraser. I don't know why they call it a pearl, but, uh, so we got that, uh, we were supposed to have eight highlighters. We only had four. You're supposed to have 48 crayons. We only had 24. So like it was just a mess. So we're trying to fix that all in the last 24 hours before school starts. And so then we get to Thursday morning and our tradition as a family is that we go together, all four of us, all six of us, all four kids, I mean, even if they're not at that school, we all go together, we take a picture. Here's our family picture in front of the elementary school. Uh, This is my crew right here. So the two youngest, the elementary kids are right here in the middle. And so this is their school and the older boys are helping to carry in the Kleenex boxes and the paper towels and all those things. And so we go, we get our picture. We go, I'm not going to post the other pictures that we had like in front of each classroom, but we did that. That's kind of our tradition. And then we left the elementary school and we went to high school. The boy in the red shirt there, Cooper, he started high school at Cherokee this year. So we went to uh, high school. We went to drop him off. He had informed us uh, that he did not want us to walk him to class and take a picture. So we went across the street to Brewster's and took a picture. This is his mom. Taking a picture with Cooper across the street. Evidently, that was in the safe zone for us to take a picture, so she still tried to find a way to embarrass him, uh, and I think it worked. So then we left the high school, okay? We left the high school, and now we're moving to the middle school for our our son Branson, who's here in the brown sweatshirt. It was 900 degrees, but he was anticipating it being cold in his classes. So uh, we were going with Branson, and from the high school to the middle school, Something else happened. Now, eventually, we got to the middle school. We dropped Branson off. We took our picture in front of the school, which we've always done at the middle school. But in between leaving the high school and getting to the middle school, our son Cooper, who we had just dropped off at high school, he texted us, hey, got in, found my homeroom. Everything's great. Love and life. High school's awesome. It was great. I don't know if you know this, but in the state of Georgia, you cannot have a cell phone while you're driving. Some of you know that. So I'm sitting at the red light. He texts. I pick up my phone to get the text, and then I start to ease through the red light, and one of Cherokee's finest is sitting right there. 
And he just wanted to send me off with a good first day of school. So he stopped, had a conversation with me. It was pleasant, so pleasant. He was like, hey, I saw you back here. It looked like you were holding your cell phone. Were you? There's that moment of decision. Not for me, for you. I said, absolutely. I was holding my cell phone. My son texted. I picked it up. Shouldn't have done it. Here's what he said. Thank you for your honesty. I don't know if that means everybody else in Cherokee County lies or not, but he said, thank you for your honesty. He said, I'm just going to let you off with a warning. And I was like, praise Jehovah. All right. So then we left there and uh, we dropped Branson off at the middle school. And in that moment, as we're getting back in the car, just Corey and I, we realize we have a tire going flat. I know, Alexander's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. So then we left there, went and got a tire. Eventually, we made it to work, and it was, it was a great day. So we had a little bit of chaos, no matter how prepared we thought we were. And isn't that the story of family life sometimes? You know, last week, we talked a little bit about this idea of families, and I told on myself then and how bad I am at mowing my grass during the summer sometimes. But in our families, there is just messiness, and there is chaos sometimes. No matter how prepared you think you are, no matter how prepared you are on a regular basis, there are moments that creep up on us that are just chaotic or messy. And so last week, we started this series called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And as a part of that, I told you that the average family is not doing well today. And what we talked about is some crazy statistics. They're scary uh, kind of for us to see. It said somewhere between 40 and 50% of couples divorce. One in three kids live in a home without a father. The average student loan debt per house is almost $50,000. Over 7 million children take a form of antidepressant medication. And over 3,000 high school students attempt suicide every single day. We said last week that the average family is not doing well, but we don't believe your family has to be average. What we believe here is that you actually can find the kind of enriched, fulfilling family life that God has called and created you to be. And what we said is that we believe there are more than these, but we're going to focus on five things that we believe will help your family stay together, but not just stay together and coexist, really be enriched and fulfilling to all of us. And last week we said that the first of those five things was really looking at our families through an eternal lens to build our lives and build our homes on a relationship with God. And we said that the relationship with God and the foundation of our homes, the foundation of our families being God was really the first of those five things and the most important of those five things for our families to stay together. We said that if you want your family to be together 50 years from now, you need to focus on keeping your family together 50,000 years from now. And we just used that 50,000 number to represent eternity. All of us, we believe, are going to spend eternity somewhere. We believe that every family, every member of family is going to spend eternity somewhere. And so for us to really focus on trying to keep our family together, our marriage together for the next 50 years, let's take that eternal look and say, how do we keep our family together for eternity? And so that's what we looked at last week. Well, this week, we're going to continue in that process of talking about it, but we didn't say it was just about Sundays. We also said that we want you to join us on a journey over the next 30 days, starting last week, and really take the 30-day family challenge. On our website, you can go to uh, cantonchurch.com family dash challenge, or you can just click the link at the top of our webpage there, and you can download the 30-day calendar. And what we said is that we want you to be together in church all five Sundays. And so some of you missed last week, so be together the next four Sundays. We know that may be a person record for you, but we believe that that investment of time will be a part of this process. We also said we want you to do devotions together and pray together. We've got a ton of resources on that webpage for you to download and utilize to really spend time over these 30 days investing in your family. So we want you to take that 30-day challenge. But each of these Sundays, we're going to deal with one more of these things. Last week was the relationship with God and the foundation of God. And today we're going to talk about forgiveness. I read a story 
comes from the Washington Post of a, of a couple named Ben and Jackie Belknap. They live out in Utah, and a few years ago, they saved money for an entire year to get season tickets to the University of Utah football, uh, football games. I don't know why you'd pay money to go watch Utah play football. I assume those tickets are free. But they saved all year long to get season tickets. Well, it comes time for them to get ready to go for the first game, and they are looking everywhere they can in the house, and they cannot find the tickets that they have paid all this money for. So they're scouring the house. They're looking in all those like junk drawers that become junk closets, which become junk rooms in some house. They're looking everywhere they can find it. They, they, they cannot find these tickets. They go and look in their car. They look under seats. They look under furniture. They look everywhere, and all of a sudden, Jackie says, oh, my goodness, I bet I know where they are. Their son, Leo, who was a toddler at the time, had been helping mom in the previous few days take their junk mail and old paper trash and shred it. And she thought, I bet Leo found it, thought he was helping, and shred it. They go and they're digging through the trash and they find the remnants of their season tickets in the trash can connected to their shredder. Jackie said, you couldn't help but cry. Until you just stopped crying and had to laugh about it. It was just so funny. He thought he was helping. Well, according to this article, I didn't even know this existed, but the Bureau of Engraving and Printing offers a solution for families like that in the event that a toddler destroys hundreds of dollars or something of value by accident. I didn't even know that was a thing. Some of you may have known that. They have an entire division called the Mutilated Currency Division, which is devoted, I'm not making this up, devoted to redeeming, burned, waterlogged, chemically altered, rodent-chewed, or deteriorated money, a free service to the public. According to their website, they handle approximately 30,000 claims per year, redeeming more than $30 million in mutilated cash and other things of value. I had never heard of the Mutilated Currency Division until I read about it. And it made me think, I wish that there was a mutilated relationship division for our homes, for our families. Because if you're anything like my family, I recognize that there are some relationships that have been chemically altered, burned, deteriorated through maybe no fault of your own or maybe a little bit of fault of yours. But in, in relationship with one another where we're both a little bit flawed, where we've both got our own set of issues, sometimes those relationships just tend to fall apart and pain is created. And it's no longer this healthy, life-giving relationship. It's now a little bit altered from its original state. Maybe it looks like a parent or a spouse who walked out on you and it created incredible pain in your life. Maybe it's a mother-in-law who just would not stay out of your business. Maybe it's a daughter-in-law who wouldn't let you see the grandkids. That's why you wouldn't stay out of their business. Maybe it's someone who stole from you or borrowed money and never paid it back. Maybe it's a dad who didn't show up to something important. Or maybe you've got a family member like others in the room who just never know when to shut their mouths. And they tend to, don't aim at me too much over on that one. But they, they tend to say hurtful things on a regular basis, and it causes so much hurt and so much conflict in our families. So today, we want to talk about this idea of forgiveness, and we want to talk about it in two ways. We want to talk first about uh, how do you deal with hurt when you've been hurt, and then we want to talk about how to heal hurts. And so we want to deal with it in two different ways, but we're going to start in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. If you've got a Bible or an app you want to follow along, this will be up on the screen in just a minute. But Hebrews there at the end in chapter 12, we see verses 14 and 15 really help us with some relationship advice. This is what it says. It says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now, when I see this verse, these two verses, this passage here, two things, two phrases jump out to me. 
The first phrase that jumps out contains the first two words that we see on the screen. Work at living, or I would say work at it. If you want to have peace in your life, if you want to have peace in your relationships, if you want to find forgiveness in those hurtful relationships, you have to work at it. Now, the reason that I start with that is because I think that there is this misconception in most of our relationships that those who are in healthy relationships, those who are in these what seems to be healthy marriages, healthy families, things are great, it seems like they've just got it all together. They never, it just seems so easy for them. They're just kind of floating through life. They're not struggling with the same things that you're struggling with. And I'm not, in, I'm not saying that every family has the exact same struggles, but I am saying that for the time I've been in ministry now for 20 years almost, and I know I don't look old enough for that, but I promise you, I am, right? When I meet with these families, the commonality of the problems and the relationships of our families and our homes is so similar. So what separates those families who are able to find freedom and peace and give forgiveness from those who are not? They work at it. They work at it. There is no such thing as the perfect spouse, that if you had just married the perfect spouse, you wouldn't fight about the things you're fighting about. I promise you, every marriage has issues that they're fighting about. There is no such thing as the perfect child or the perfect parents. And so there's no dynamic of parent-child relationship that doesn't have some set of issues they've got to work through. They just work at it. There is no perfect boss, meaning that you would have the perfect job if you just had a different boss. You've just got to work at it. And so it's constantly just being willing to engage in the work that is necessary for forgiveness to be a part of that relationship and for peace to rule and reign. The second phrase that comes out of this passage is found in verse 15. It says, watch out, watch out. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. No poisonous root of bitterness. So according to the Bible, we are supposed to work at peace and watch out for roots of bitterness. We're supposed to be on the lookout. We're supposed to make sure that those roots are not constantly growing in our lives. Well, the reality of a root system is that it is constantly growing. Even when you go into your yard and you pull weeds out, if you're not careful, if you don't get to the root, then those roots will begin to produce something new. And, and over time, those weeds get harder and harder and harder for you to get out of the ground because now they have intertwined with other root systems and they've now infiltrated other parts of your yard and now other parts of your heart. And you can't hardly get the roots of bitterness out of your heart and out of your lives and out of your relationships because the root of bitterness has taken hold of your life. Isn't that true in our families? I think in so many of our families, and I don't know about your family, but conflict doesn't just involve a few people. What happens is that the roots of bitterness grows up in you and then it corrupts many. It, it just started with you and them, you and her, you and him. It started with one thing that was said or one thing that was done or one thing that wasn't said that should have been or one thing that wasn't done that should have been, and now you have allowed the root of bitterness to corrupt the relationship between the two of you, but every time they walk out of the room, you say a little snide comment, and somebody else that's sitting in the room hears it, and it affects their view of that other person, or every time you walk out of the room, they say something. Or now we're sitting in the same room and multiple people are texting about somebody in the room who is unaware that they are the result of a text conversation happening in the room where they sit. And now what happens is the root of bitterness is now actually corrupting many in the family because we didn't dig it out. We didn't work at it. We didn't do what was necessary. The, the problem is for all of us, nobody plans to be bitter. Nobody aspires to be bitter, right? None of us do. 
We all want to be fun, life-giving, healthy in all of our relationships. But the drama gets going, and it corrupts many, and people get pulled in, and relationships go sour, and the root of bitterness over time grows worse and worse and worse in our heart and in our relationships. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, according to some scriptures that we find here, where Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, he gives us another kind of take, another approach on what we should do as it relates to finding peace and finding forgiveness in the relationships of our lives. This is what it says. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you will surely not go free again until you have paid the last penny. Now, as Jesus is talking here, he's talking literally about you being thrown into prison. He's helped providing for these people that were listening there in the first century. He's helping them to understand how they should conduct themselves when they owe people, when they have an adversary, when they have someone that they're in conflict with. How do they resolve that? He says, when you have an adversary, you are called to go and settle your differences. And if you don't, you're going to be handed over to the court, and then you're going to be handed over to an officer, and then you're going to be placed in prison. And even though in our lives it may not result in literal prison, maybe you know somebody. I'm not going to ask you to indict yourself, but maybe you have a friend who in their lives they are locked up in the prison of hurt and unforgiveness. They are locked up in a prison that they can't get out of. Because it all started in some relationship with some conflict, and they don't know how to get past their pain. They don't know how to move past their hurt and in a proper, healthy way deal with the pain. I'm not talking about suppress it. I'm not talking about just bury it and go away from it. I'm saying they're not dealing with it in healthy, life-giving ways so that they can move into the future that God has called and destined them for. It might look like a wife who stays married just for the kids but hates her husband. And so they just coexist, but she is locked in the prison of her home and in the prison of her hurt and hatred. It might look like someone who was betrayed in a divorce, and the prison of that hurt and that pain never allows them to fully love and trust again. Maybe it looks like kids who can't answer the phone or go home for the holidays because of the hurt that a parent did to them at some point in their past, and they just don't know how to have a conversation anymore because of the prison of their hurt. What Jesus says is he says it's so important that we settle matters quickly because time doesn't heal all wounds. You ever heard that? Time heals all wounds. Whoever said that was an idiot. You know what time does to something that's a hurt and a pain and a cut that doesn't, isn't dealt with? It gets infected. If you don't deal with that cut and that pain and that hurt, time doesn't just heal it. Potentially, other things can get in it and corrupt and infect your heart and your life. And now a place that wasn't even hurting becomes infected and sick in other areas of your body, other areas of your life. Time does not heal all wounds. And so for us, if we just decide we're going to avoid it, we say, well, it'll just get better if I don't deal with it. If I just don't talk about it, eventually I'll just get past it. And the reality is we can never get past our past and we can never embrace our future. And so if we're talking about that, then how do we respond when people hurt us? When people hurt us, which is going to happen, how do we respond? Well, did you notice that in both sections of scripture that we read, there's some commonality. What we read is that we work at peace 
We watch out for roots of bitterness, and we settle matters quickly. We work at peace, watch out for roots of bitterness, and we settle matters quickly. Everything that we read puts the responsibility of having peace on us. It doesn't mention jerks and liars and thieves and mean-spirited brother-in-laws. Like, it doesn't talk about any of those people. It puts it on us. And you would say, well, that, that doesn't seem fair. Because I'm the one that's been done wrong to. Like, they, they did wrong to me. I, I'm the one that's been hurt. I'm the one that they should come to me to settle it quickly. I, I'm just going to wait until they apologize. I'm just going to wait until they realize what they've done, and then we'll find peace again, and then we'll find happiness. But what Scripture tells us is that we're the ones that are called to work at peace. We're the ones that are to look for the roots of bitterness that may be taking shape in our heart and our lives. And we're the ones who have to move quickly to settle those things when we identify them. When I meet with families, when I meet with couples, and perhaps a husband is, is meeting with me alone, and, and we're talking about the circumstances that exist in their marriage, and he says, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's some hurt and some pain there. There's some things that have been done, and they shouldn't have been done. I said some things I shouldn't have said, or I did some things I shouldn't have done. Maybe I should have said some things that I didn't say, or I should have done some things that I didn't do them. And, and, but, man, I love her, and I'm sorry for what I did, and I just don't know how to fix it. And I say to him, well, what did she say when you told her you were sorry? He's like, well, I, I mean, I could never tell her that. What? We sit with parents, perhaps of older children, and they say there's brokenness in our relationship, and there's brokenness, and they won't come back home, and they won't talk to us, and they won't communicate with us, and we, we know what it was about, or we think we understand where it happened, or maybe they can easily identify, it, and they say, well, we, we just want to bring the... The family back together, we want to bridge the gap, and we're so sorry, and we, we want them to forgive us, and we want to forgive them. And then if we say, well, what do they say when you tell them that? They say, well, we, we can't, we couldn't say that to them. What happens is we decide that we would rather live in our hurt and live in our pain and wait on them to make the first move than to step into the awkwardness of a conversation that may be painful. I remember watching an episode of the show Friends, Don't Judge Me. I, I didn't watch many, I just heard about it. It was this cultural phenomenon, that's all happened, right? But there's an episode where a character named Chandler, if you're not familiar with the show, Chandler is at work one day and he's standing by the elevator and his buddy Ross is standing there with him and a coworker walks by and refers to Chandler as Toby. And Ross is like, who's Toby? And Chandler's like, hey, how you doing? And Ross says to him, he says, what are you doing? That's not your name. He said, yeah, but he called me Toby one time, and I couldn't correct him, and now it's been a couple of years. And Ross said, you need to tell him that your name is Chandler and not Toby. And he's like, no, it's been too long. And it's funny, except that's what we do in our relationships sometimes. We allow time to pass, and we just exist in the midst of the circumstances that we've inherited or we've allowed to exist rather than have an awkward conversation and go, hey, just so you know, I'm upset with you. Just so you know, you hurt me deeply. Just so you know, I struggle to be in the same room with you, to have conversation with you. I struggle to even look at you without feeling like you are the person that caused me the greatest sense of harm in all of my life. So well, I could never say that to them. 
And maybe that's not what you need to say, but you cannot just allow them to look at you and think you're healthy, to look at you and think you're someone else when that's not the reality. Step into the awkwardness of the conversation. Step into the difficult conversation and say, hey, I just need to tell you some things because it's not fair to you for you not to know that they exist between us. It's difficult. It is painful. I promise you, you may feel like you need to throw up before you have the conversation, and you may throw up after the conversation. But it is so worth it, rather than you to exist in a relationship where they call you by the wrong name. They call you healthy. They call you at peace. They call you whole. And you know you're still broken. And so we go, okay. But what do I do if I'm offended? If I'm the one that receives offense, what do I do? There are two stages to every offense. Two stages. The first of them is the actual hurt, the actual wrong that's done. That's a reality. You are going to be offended. You are going to be hurt. I promise you, if you came today for me to tell you you're not, I, don't, I can't say that, right? And so you're going to be hurt. That's just a reality for the human existence. And you have every right when you get hurt to feel hurt and to feel upset and to be mad and to get angry about it and to cry or to throw stuff or whatever it is that you do to process your emotions when you get hurt. But after a certain season of time, and for some offenses, it only requires a day, but we live in it for a year. For some, it only requires a week, but we live in it for a month. After a certain season of time, if we say, God... Would you do a healing work in me? Would you do a cleansing work in me? Would you help me to process this in a healthy way? There is a second stage to offense. And it's choosing whether or not to stay offended. You get to choose. I'm not saying that if you have been hurt, you should not feel hurt. You should. And you have to determine, is this an hour worth of being mad about it? Or a day worth of being mad about it? Or a month worth of being, worth of being mad about it? And perhaps you need to go see a counselor. We believe in that. Maybe you need to process that with some folks around you who love and care for your soul. But you've got to be careful that you don't just allow yourself to wallow in that. For longer than God intends you to stay in that place. Dave Ramsey says that gossip is talking to anybody about anything that they can't help resolve. And so beyond a close friend, a confidant, a spouse, a counselor, if you continue to have the same conversation over and over and over with other people who cannot help bring resolution, they are not encouraging you to resolve the conflict. They are not encouraging you to find a place of forgiveness for whatever part has been done to you, then ultimately you're going to allow yourself to stay in a place of hurt and to stay in a place of offense without ever dealing with the issue. You have a choice. Pastor Kevin Gerald talks about five reasons not to be offended. Now, again, I told you, you can be offended, you should be offended, should be hurt when those things happen. But if you stay there, he says the first reason not to be offended is because it's exhausting. It is exhausting to stay offended. I mean, to just stay there in that place, you've got to just keep up all the emotions. Like, you've got to get mad about it every time you see them. You've got to get mad about it every time somebody mentions their name. Oh, it's exhausting. Just... Eventually, you got to decide, I'm not going to live like this. The second reason not to get offended, not to stay offended, is because it's distracting. You can't step into the future that God's called you to. You can't step into the purpose and the destiny that he's called you to. And so you stay distracted by your past, and you can never embrace your future. 
The third reason that you shouldn't get offended or stay offended is it creates collateral damage. We talked about that a little bit with the verse we read in Hebrews. That root of poisonous uh, bitterness that exists in there corrupts many. There are other people around you that weren't even involved in the situation, and now they are affected by the situation because of all the sideways conversations that are happening, and so it has collateral damage. And other relationships are worsened because of what happened between you and someone else. It had nothing to do with them, but there's collateral damage. The fourth thing that happens here is that you attract other offended people. If you stay offended for longer than it's necessary to stay offended about whatever it is that's happening to you, you will notice that the people who are just magnetically attracted to you are the people that are easily offendable. You go, well, that's kind of mean to say. Like, I got some good friends. Maybe so. But some people are just hanging around you because you have given them permission to stay mad about whatever happened to them forever. Because you've stayed mad forever. And so after we process through a healthy season of growth, we allow God to do a healing work in our life. If we stay in that place, we begin to attract other offended people. The fifth reason not to get offended is that healthy people start avoiding you. Now, some people that come to you are the easily offendable ones, but the people that stay away from you are the really healthy people that you actually need in your life. But they stay away from you because they're like, Man, every time I talk to him, every time I talk to her, it is just like drama, 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 drama. Your hurt is real. Your pain is real. But there comes a point when you have to decide, am I going to stay offended or am I going to step into the future that God is calling me to? Now you say, Jeremy, that, that doesn't seem fair. I thought you were going to talk about how to heal hurt, and it seems like all you're doing is telling me that it's my responsibility. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. That's kind of what I'm saying. I am saying that there is a, a moment in time when you have to choose whether or not you're going to be the kind of person and whether or not your family is going to be the kind of family that is a little less offendable. And wherever hurts have occurred a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, or two decades ago, you're not going to allow that hurt from the past to define your future. And so we decide, how am I going to move forward? I believe it's important for every family. If you want to stay together, if you want to be healthy and enriched and find ways into the future that God has called you to, you have to step into freedom. You have to root out those roots of bitterness that want to stay there because it's so much easier just to stay mad and stay angry and stay hurt all the time and miss all the amazing things that perhaps God has right in front of you. But I recognize that for some of us, you have some really big, deep hurts from people we loved, you loved, you still love them, and they did unthinkable harm to you. You say, what am I supposed to do with that person? In some form or some fashion, they abused me or my affection for them. Then I would say that you have to turn that over to God and you have to take whatever necessary steps that you believe are right for you to take to be healthy, to be whole, and allow God to do all in your life that he desires to do. But I also recognize that there is an example of response that we find in Scripture, and his name is Jesus. Now, I recognize when we get to points like this in a message, sometimes you go, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. That's unfair. But if you call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, a little Christ, then we are saying with our lives that it is an attempt to live in the model of the way that Jesus lived on the earth. And so we find ourselves at the end of the story of Jesus that's captured in the book of Luke. 
as he hangs on the cross, staring at the very people who said they loved him, called him the king of the Jews just a few days before, followed his ministry, loved him and, and, and displayed affection for him, and now they are yelling and spitting and cursing at him. And this is his response in Luke chapter 23, verse 24. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's so hard to let go of our hurts and our pains while we're still hoping that the other person will realize what they've done to us. And so we hold out hope that eventually they'll feel it like we feel it. And they'll come so repentant and so contrite and kneel down in front of us and, and beg of our forgiveness. But the reality is they probably never will. And the reason that they never will is because so often they don't know to the extent that they've hurt you. They, they don't know the full extent of what they've done to you. I mean, they may realize they did intentional things and they, they own those, but maybe there's a lot of unintended things, words they said that were offhanded and, and in, a, in a heated moment, and they didn't mean them the way that you took them, but when, when you heard them, man, they connected to your soul. And so you, you may have to come to a point where you say, they didn't even realize what they were doing. Jesus was hanging on the cross as he's dying, and people are cussing at him and screaming at him, and he had this supernatural ability that he could have called down fire from heaven and consumed all of his enemies. He could have asked God supernaturally to annihilate every person that was speaking poorly of him, that had ever hurt him, that had ever done anything wrong to him. And instead, he said, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. There's an old story of a farmer who's in a boat. He's paddling upstream to deliver produce to a farm upstream from his land. And as he's rowing upstream, all of a sudden he sees a boat coming downstream toward him. And initially, he doesn't think much about it, but he sees that the boat seems to be picking up speed, and it's headed right at him. And so he begins to yell as he begins to row towards the shore. He's trying to get away from the boat that is headed right at him, and he's yelling, hey, watch out. I I'm in your way. I'm right in the middle. And he keeps rowing faster and faster and faster, and he keeps yelling louder and louder, hey, you need to watch out. You're coming right at me. You need to stop. What are you doing? All of a sudden, he sees that the boat picks up speed and runs right into his boat. And as he collects himself, he's knocked loose a little bit. As he collects himself, he stands up to scream at the person in the other boat. And he says, what are you? And he realizes that the other boat is empty. It's gotten loose from its dock, and there was no one in the boat in the first place. So often when we've been hurt and we've been offended, we are yelling at the other boat, trying to make the other person feel what we feel. And there's nobody in the other boat. They don't even know what they've done. They don't even know to the extent that they've hurt you. They don't know the words that pierced you so deeply. They don't know the action that cut you so much that you, you can still bleed in certain settings. And again, maybe there's some of you that they did know. They knew exactly what they were doing to you. And you need them to come back to you and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I said. And the reality is they may never do it. I wish I could tell you they would. I wish I could tell you that they would come back and apologize so deeply and so sincerely that you would know and God would use that to release freedom in your life and forgiveness in your life and your heart. 
there's usually no one else in the other boat. And so we have this choice. We have this choice. You have it today. Where you can be in a moment of pain and agony like Jesus was as he hung on the cross. And you can muster up the courage. Even if you don't feel like it. To say, God, would you help me to forgive? Fill in the blank with the person's name who hurt you so badly. Help me to forgive him. Help me to forgive her. I don't even know that they knew what they were doing. Not long after Jesus said that, he said another thing. He said, Father, into your hands I release my spirit. Now we recognize that that was the end of his earthly life. He was releasing himself to the Father's will for the purposes that God had created. But you don't have to wait till your deathbed to forgive and release people from the hurts that they've done to you. But what if you were able to say, God, forgive him, forgive her, because they didn't even know. And God, now I release myself into your hands to do whatever it is that you now want to do as I live in the freedom that I've not been able to fully experience up to this point. How much better would our homes be? How much better would our families be? How much healthier would our marriages be if we didn't allow the pain of our past to hold us hostage and lock us in prisons and the bitterness inside of us was, was rooted in all of the, what if we dug those things out and we worked at it and we settled things quickly so that we could jump into the freedom and the future and the destiny and the purpose that God has called you and your marriage and your family to be from this point forward. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. This is just a moment of reflection between you and the Lord. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I need to take that first step of asking him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. I need him to do that cleansing, healing work in my heart. And that's where it starts. If that's you today and you would say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, I need him to forgive my sins. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I don't even know if I can fully embrace it today, but I'm asking God to help me to forgive someone who's hurt me. And I'm asking that God would allow me to do it even if that person never comes back and asks for forgiveness themselves. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. So many hands. God, we love you today. I thank you for the bravery and the confidence and the courage of the people in this room to respond as you do a work in their heart and in their life. And God, now I pray for those who lifted their hands and ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, would you do what only you can do? Thank you for the healing, salvation work that you provided through Jesus Christ. And so God, we accept that now, every hand that was lifted. We thank you for that work in our lives. God, now I pray for every person that asked you to help them to forgive someone. That's a hard prayer to pray. Because what if that person never comes and asks for forgiveness themselves? God, today, so many that lifted their hands are trusting you to do that work in their heart and to release them from the prison that perhaps they found themselves in. To help them to root out the bitterness that exists in their heart and in their life. 
And God, as they do that, would you replace it with peace? Would you replace it with hope and joy that maybe hasn't existed in a long, long time? And God, would they run into the future that you've destined for them? Let our families be a place of forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 